0: Welcome back to Kryptonite. I'm your host, Rich Goldberg. Well, it has been quite the rough ride for crypto investors over the last few days. If you are an investor in crypto, I think you know that already. If you're watching TV, I think you know that already. It's hard not to see some of this stuff in the news, the collapse of a so-called stablecoin Terra. Uh, The overall depression of the crypto market. Questions abound. We will talk to our guest coming up about this, who actually has a really optimistic view uh, of the way forward, at least for Bitcoin itself. Stay tuned for that. But let's get to our headlines. They're obviously dominated by what we've been seeing CNBC more than $200 billion erased from the entire crypto market in a day as sell off intensifies. NBC News, Bitcoin plunges below 27,000, erases 2021 gains as crypto sell-off intensifies. CNBC Crypto World, Bitcoin extends sell-off, Coinbase loses millions of users, and Luna crashes to $1. CNN, Bitcoin crash is crushing Coinbase. Okay, now for the other side of the coin. Bitcoin Telegraph, not bothered, miners not impacted by volatility in Bitcoin market. In the face of extreme fear in the Bitcoin market, miners are unfazed and may even welcome a downturn as it opens up the opportunity to gain more hashing power. We'll also talk a little bit about mining with our guest today. Politico, nothing positive, Salvadorans struggle to adapt to Bitcoin. The country's audacious attempt to break free of the Western financial system has run into some bitter realities. We covered it here first. Make sure you listen to our last episode on El Salvador's jump into cryptocurrency. Is it working? Is it not working? You'll have to listen to our episode to find out. CNBC Fidelity Investments is letting employers offer a Bitcoin investment to 401k savers. It would sit alongside the usual one to two dozen funds available to workers. However, target date fund managers are not yet allocating crypto as a share of funds overall holdings. They cite risks like volatility and a hazy regulatory outlook. TDFs are the most popular 401k investment. They captured over half of all contributions in 2020. Bloomberg Yellen says the Terra meltdown shows crypto stablecoin dangers. Reuters U.S. SEC's Pierce sees movement on stablecoin regulations. The Wall Street Journal FTX, US hires Fidelity executive as crypto exchange seeks New York approval. And finally, a story I am absolutely obsessed with from CNBC cryptocurrency group lobbies Congress against bills that target Russian oligarchs. That's right. The Blockchain Association, a lobbying group that represents more than 70 crypto platforms, including Ripple, Crypto.com, and Dragonfly Capital is trying to convince Congress that cryptocurrencies aren't being used by wealthy Russians to avoid sanctions. It's working with lobbying shop Ford's Tate partners against legislation that would impose more sanctions on already penalized Russians who are aiming to use crypto as a way to avoid sanctions. The bill would also empower the Treasury Secretary to block crypto trading platforms based in the US from doing business with those in Russia. And get this, quote, these bills don't target Russian oligarchs who are not using and can't use crypto to evade sanctions can't use crypto to evade sanctions they target upstanding u.s crypto companies for no apparent reason except senator warren's crusade she is the sponsor of one of the bills senator warren's crusade against the technology she does not understand chervinsky who was the policy director for the blockchain association being quoted said in a tweet after publication of this story okay I'm not going to pretend that my politics are in line with Senator Elizabeth Warren's. They are not. Uh, and I don't know whether or not Senator Warren is simply after Bitcoin for different reasons or actually genuinely, as we've talked to other folks in the past who are not you know, on the far left. We think about a former Teal portfolio manager we had back in episode two who said, this needs regulation. This is a speculative asset. Uh, don't know her motivations, but I looked at the bill needs some fine-tuning, needs to be improved. But wait a second here. The Blockchain Association is trying to convince us that cryptocurrency cannot be used for sanctions evasion? That's not true. That's completely false. I don't know why they would tweet that. I don't know what a policy director is saying that. There's ample evidence of it being used for sanctions evasion. We know it can be used. We've talked to guests in the past on this show about its use. We even had a dedicated one just on oligarchs and Russia and Putin potentially using it for sanctions evasion. The Treasury Department has issued warnings to companies for now facilitating sanctions evasion on their crypto platforms. So I don't know where that's coming from, but that is the kind of disinformation in the national security realm that makes me very upset as a national security expert and professional, as a sanctions professional. And I would challenge the Blockchain Association if they wanna come on the show, I'll have them on, but this needs to be taken back. And frankly, I am not looking to target crypto personally in any way that's different than others. But if there is a national security threat and we treat banks a certain way, then why wouldn't we treat crypto platforms a certain way? Okay, I'm off my soapbox for a moment. That, that one really got my goad. You can look at my bio to understand why. But let's get to our guest who I know is doing a lot of interesting, exciting things entrepreneurial in the space of Bitcoin. He is not going to have a doom and gloom look on what is happening right now. Alex Leishman is the co-founder and chief executive officer at River Financial. Mr. Leishman brings his deep expertise in software engineering, information security, and Bitcoin to River, where he oversees investor relations, corporate strategy, and engineering. Prior to co-founding River Financial, Alex most recently served on the investment engineering teams at Polychain Capital and Polychain Labs, focusing on Bitcoin-related venture investments. Mr. Leishman has previously served as an engineer at Airbnb's security team, a management consultant for Deloitte, and first got deeply involved in the Bitcoin industry as an early engineer at MyCoin, Taiwan's largest digital asset exchange. Mr. Leishman holds a degree in aerospace engineering from the University of Maryland and a master's in computer science from Stanford, where he helped teach the first Bitcoin class uh, with a professor there. Alex, thanks for joining Kryptonite. It's great to be here. All right, let's 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 start from the top, the very beginning. What is River Financial?
1: So our goal at River is to build the Bitcoin bank of the world. Basically, what we offer is Bitcoin financial products that help you establish and grow your Bitcoin wealth. Today, our product suite includes Bitcoin brokerage, custody, and mining. Uh, we're known for our... Very high quality service, and we have a private client tier of our of our services that we offer. That's very white glove for our VIP ultra high net worth clients.
0: So I, you know, I go to the website and I was sort of like, okay, are you wealth management? Are you an investment advisor? Are you a bank? Are you all of the above? How do you sort of live in the DeFi world? What's what's your counterparts? How do you compare yourself?
1: I think all of those sort of more traditional financial terms. You know, in some way it relates to us. We're not legally a a bank with a bank charter or anything like that. We're a Bitcoin financial institution, internet native. Uh, We help people custody, buy and mine Bitcoin. We don't give financial advice, but we're all very experienced and have been deep in the Bitcoin industry for, for many years. Myself, I've been working in Bitcoin basically all my career. You know, our, our vision is that, you know, Bitcoin is on our trajectory to become the reserve currency of the world. It's fundamentally changing what financial institutions are going to look like. And we're building you know, a, new, a new financial institution around that trend. as it relates to DeFi, basically, you know, I, I see the, the, the Bitcoin financial products of the future that help people generate Bitcoin cash flows, put their Bitcoin to work, do more with their Bitcoin, um, being built on all sorts of substrates whether that's you know, custodial, sort of centralized financial products, mining, lightning network powered financial products, and then also Bitcoin being wrapped across other blockchains and being put to work as we've seen uh, Bitcoin proliferate across you know, the DeFi space with over one and a half percent, I think, of Bitcoin already wrapped. So I think that the world you know Bitcoin financial products in the future is, is going to sort of be multi-substrate. And it's important that we get smart about all this stuff.
0: And maybe break that down for our listeners, because we sort of range in our, our audience from 101 to, um, they've, they've been heavy from, from the late 2000s. What does that look like as far as wrapping? What does that mean to be wrapped uh, when you say that, you know, percent and a half of Bitcoin's already wrapped?
1: You know, I think most of your readers or listeners are probably familiar at this point with the concept of a token. You know, there's always tokens on other blockchains. Um, some of them just get sort of created out of thin air, created by some new, you know, DeFi project. But you know, some of them are actually represent an asset uh, from outside of that blockchain. So um, you know, one of these tokens is called Wrapped Bitcoin, WBTC. For every WBTC token, there is a Bitcoin in BitGo's custody. And the the, the purpose of this is to be able to take Bitcoin and and put it on another blockchain and and use that wealth effectively and, and, you know, use it in yield generating smart contracts and um, lending protocols and things like that. So actually sort of what's happened over the past years is, you know, you've seen these yield apps crop up, you know, um, earn yield on your Bitcoin or earn yield in your crypto. Well, um, you know, where's that yield coming from? Well, there's actually a gr- group, like a number of funds and companies behind the scenes, that take your crypto or your Bitcoin and 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 put it to work to generate returns on it. Some of that is centralized trading and market making, but a big chunk of that is actually taking Bitcoin, wrapping it, and putting it into these DeFi protocols to try and earn. Know earn yields on it, and then pass that back up. Sort of filters up through all the middlemen back to a depositor, and you know, BlockFi or Celsius or something like that. So that's basically kind of what's happening behind the scenes.
0: So, what kind of clients do you attract? Who who are the people coming to you? Who's your target client in your mind? We sort of have, you know, two. So um, for
1: our private client services, you know, our bread and butter client is the the VIP, the ultra high net worth person who you know, has little to some, you know, Bitcoin knowledge and really just wants a level of service and someone to make their life extremely easy and have a dedicated person who can answer all their questions and and walk them through this intimidating, admittedly, new technology. Then then we have our sort of typical River client who just signs up for River.com and, you know, starts using the product. They are either sort of a a pre-coiner, somebody who's never used Bitcoin before, or a or or somebody who actually knows a lot about Bitcoin, but wants to access our unique products, Uh, they might have an account at Coinbase already or an account at BlockFi, but they can't mine Bitcoin at Coinbase. You you can only mine Bitcoin at River. So that's what's driving them to sign up for our product is access to these financial products you can't get at the you know the big exchanges,
0: and that's the pitch to to somebody who's out there says like I have Morgan Stanley, I've got my Charles Schwab, I have my wealth management advisor, I have my my IRA is all set, I got all, I got a diversified portfolio, but I'm not in crypto. So you want that person who's like you know what I'm seeing it on TV. There's a lot of hype on this. Uh, somebody somebody saying we should I should have some part of my portfolio in this, but I can't get it through my traditional bank, my traditional advisor. So I'm coming to you.
1: That's the perfect person for our private client services. But for people who do already have Bitcoin, who want access to financial services, you know, on the cutting edge of Bitcoin, those people are also the perfect fit forever. Because, um, you know, like with our mining product, you can buy Bitcoin at Coinbase, but you can't mine Bitcoin at Coinbase. Um, so we're, we're building on that cutting edge of,
0: of financial products that help you do even more with your Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I want to get to that in a second because the, the mining piece is, is very interesting, just maybe just dive in and summarize again. Like if if I sign up on River.com, I I, I want to be into crypto. I, I don't know that much, but I want access to interesting menus of services. What what am I finding there? What 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 kind of services are these? I, I'm an amateur, but I I I want to make money in this. And I'm I'm looking at the news and I don't see how I'm making money right now. So so what am I getting going to river.com? Trade, custody, mine. That's the suite of Bitcoin financial products
1: today. Um, more will be coming down the road that help you do even more with your Bitcoin and uh, stay tuned for that.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this mining piece uh, specifically. It's new, you've announced it. Um, It was in development. I think it's launched now. Your website header really captured me. It says, mine the future of money. Take the first step toward building your Bitcoin mining fleet today. Okay, what is a Bitcoin mining fleet? The Bitcoin mining process uh, is the is the process
1: that secures the Bitcoin network. The way that mining works is you have these specialized computers. Uh, we call them ASICs. And these computers are specialized to perform one this one algorithm that secures the Bitcoin network. And people running these computers get rewarded with new Bitcoin for doing this. And so you know, just kind of the old school way of mining is you buy machines. You have to go find power sources to plug these machines into, you can't just plug these things into uh, you know, your mom's kitchen outlet, you know, these are sort of heavy duty things. And um, so, and so you want somewhere with cheap energy to plug these in uh, and, and that's well ventilated because they get pretty hot. And then um, you need to go set up a mining pool account and then you need to set up your own custody for the, you know, mining pool to sweep the new Bitcoin into your wallet. It, it was historically been a pretty complex thing you know, you'd only do it if you're you know, in the weeds hobbyist. We've effectively abstracted away all of that complexity. And so in, through River, all you have to do is buy the machines from us. We, we um, have you know, high quality supply chains to acquire these machines for you. And we also manage all the hosting for you as well. So we plug it in and the, the, the Bitcoin that your Bitcoin miners mine go directly to your River account. So effectively, what you're buying is a Bitcoin cash flow. Um, you get a Bitcoin cash flow from your machines coming into your account every day. You also own the underlying equipment. So that itself is an asset. And these mining machines can last anywhere from you know, four to seven years. In fact, you know, the, the older models, um, one of them was called an S9. Um, those machines are selling for more today in dollar terms than they were brand new five years ago. So for many people, mining has been a very compelling investment. And um, we make it about as easy
0: as humanly possible. How much does one of these things cost? And is it sort of like you're, you're pooling people together? You can have like a part of a mine, you know, along with somebody else, or do you, is it only one person per mine? Or? The way it works is, um, you know, you buy in increments of one physical machine.
1: It's a, it's a, a physical miner. Um, so you buy in increments of one. So you can buy one, you can buy a hundred, you can buy 500. Um, the price changes with the market. Um, with the Bitcoin market, so right now prices are around eight to nine thousand dollars for a top of the line. The model is called an S nineteen J Pro. One of those mines around you know zero point zero one five Bitcoin a month, and it costs around one hundred sixty dollars a month in hosting costs. Basically, the way we the way it's structured is you buy the machine, and then we charge you a, a kilowatt hour all in energy cost, um, and however much energy your machine uses um, is what your bill monthly is. So you know it's a historically been pretty profitable investment. Um, it, of course, it depends on the Bitcoin price. It also depends on the difficulty of the Bitcoin network. The more people who are mining, the more difficult it becomes to mine a Bitcoin. And, um, and the way we do it is you know, we take all of our clients' machines, we, we, we point them to a, a high-quality mining pool, but we, we do all the accounting to make sure that you're, you get exactly the amount of Bitcoin that your machine you know, mined um, because each machine actually has some variance, some machines are slightly faster than others, um, and we 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 give you exactly what your machine earned.
0: And I imagine that you've done the calculations. That I, I haven't math uh, over a podcast is probably not my strong suit. But uh, based on the return you you, you mentioned and the price uh, per machine, there's a certain point that you predict at least break even, and then you're then it's all sort of profit from there. Or exactly, it's pretty easy to do the math and like you know what are the economics today at today's
1: Bitcoin price. Um, and, you know, clients are, are still in the money, you know, the Bitcoin would have to fall pretty, pretty far for our, our customers to not even be mining profitably day to day. But then there's sort of, there's a longer term bet you have to make around. So what's the, what's the network difficulty going to be? Um, how many miners will be manufactured? It's its own kind of unique bet compared to just buying Bitcoin itself. For example, if you think that there's going to be Silicon um, supply shortages, or let's say you thought, you know, China would invade Taiwan. Owning Bitcoin miners is a pretty good bet because it's going to be cons- like manufacture of more of them is going to be constrained. So there's not going to be a whole lot of competition for the coming years. So it's a it's a different you know bet than Bitcoin. You're buying a machine that generates Bitcoin cash flow with its own unique sort of economic profile. And um, many of our clients view it as a diversification. And uh, you know some customers look at it more in Bitcoin denominated returns. Some customers look at it more in so what are of the dollar denominated returns?
0: And if you're holding the equipment, you're operating the equipment, if I say I want to leave River, I, I'm, you know, I just don't want to keep mine this year, but I want to keep my S-1900, whatever it is, uh, do you ship it to them? Do they get the machine to their house at that point? Or how does that work?
1: Yes. So you own the equipment. You do have a hosting agreement with us. So there is some contractual obligation with a hosting agreement. However, at the end of the day, it is your property. Um, and if you want a delivery of that, that's, that's something we would facilitate.
0: Okay, so obviously, you must be very deep on the whole policy regulatory framework of how states local governments will be treating uh, mining farms, uh, as as they're calling them. Um, Are are you sort of buying property for this? Is that part of your model? Or do you have farms already? Are you going in with existing farms and just having leased space? Or how does that all sort of work? So that's a great question. We actually do not run facilities ourselves. We
1: partner with high quality what they're called co-location facilities, companies that are, are specially built facilities for hosting Bitcoin miners. These facilities are constructed near sort of the cheapest reliable power sources in the United States. So we only we only keep our clients miners in the US, which is actually a very important. Um, thing for our customers because you know you may have seen some of the news recently. There have been there were there were people mining in Russia or Kazakhstan and and some other mining hosting providers had to basically you know liquidate their customers' machines because they were violating sanctions laws. Lots of issues there, so we only stick to high quality U.S. facilities where we are comfortable with the legal you know framework. Then it's a state by state question. So Texas has been the friendliest to mining, so that's where the vast majority of our of our miners are. We tend to stick to states where. We- where we feel pretty confident that they're going to be friendly um, to mining um, uh, from a t- regulation perspective, you know, there there is some rumblings in New York State. Um, that's a current debate at the moment. We don't have any miners there. Um, we try and stick to sort of like Texas, Georgia, North Dakota, North Carolina, those kinds of places.
0: Do people come to you in this debate? Because I, yeah, New York State was obviously it's in the news. The draft legislation. Don't know if it'll move or not. Um, you know, we had seen the new, no new mayor uh, of New York City, who had r- run as sort of a, a crypto guy, saying, you know, I'm, I'm for the blockchain, but against mining. You know, I'm for Bitcoin. I want to be the Bitcoin capital. I just don't want anybody to mine here now because of the environmental concerns and power uh, concerns, et cetera, that, that have been raised. Um, do you get involved in, in those kind of policy debates? Do people come to you say, Hey, Alex, you know, what's your view on this? How do you respond to these, these concerns and arguments?
1: Yeah, we, we do get involved. So we, we do do some, you know, regulatory affairs work, uh, you know, behind the scenes of trying to educate regulators, trying to educate politicians and foster those relationships. I and mean, it, it, frankly, it, it's very tough in the United States with 50 different state governments and then the federal government. And then within the federal government, there's, you know, a dozen regulatory bodies that might make your life difficult, right? Um, so you can't really be everywhere. Um, there are industry groups that have cropped up to try and solve some of these issues. And we are active in those, you know, there are a number of people sort of jumping on the, on the, on the New York issue at the moment. Well, one of the industry groups that's formed has been the mining council. They're tra- attempting to sort of educate the, the misinformation behind policies like this. And, you know, we'll see if they're effective. Um, what
0: what is your like you know, your two minute elevator speech when somebody says this is contributing to climate change, carbon footprint bigger than a country, uh, drain on on local grid, driving up prices, local communities, etc. What what do you say? You know your your response to all those things that we've heard. These arguments are sort of constantly brought up.
1: You know the reality is that Christmas lights in the United States um, use more energy than the Bitcoin network. You know during Christmas time. Philosophically, you know we should be you know, if a country does not want certain types of energy to be generated from from dirty sources, address that, right? Ban the energy, don't ban the use of the energy, because if we go down that rabbit hole, where does it end? Like, is Las Vegas a good use of energy? You know, are Christmas lights a good use of energy? This, This logical, you know, path just ends in sort of ridiculous conclusion. And so, you know, Bitcoin is fundamentally liberating, you know, millions of people around the world from economic sort of oppression. Um, There is a lot of good there, and society clearly very much values this network. Secondly, Bitcoin is actually very symbiotic with a healthy grid powered by renewable energies. Renewable energies have a lot of issues. Uh, You have to overbuild tons of renewable capacity. Bitcoin mining is the only thing in the world that is an energy purchaser of last resort. Um, You need an energy purchaser in, in excess power generation periods, which all, which most renewable energy sources have, wind and solar specifically, to, to make these these power sources economically viable, right? What you see with solar, for example, is you see peak production midday, but peak power consumption is in the afternoon at like 6 PM when the sun's not shining. So who's using this energy midday? Who's buying this energy and paying for you know this energy generation? Um, it's Bitcoin miners. Um, and Bitcoin miners are the only energy purchaser that can also just be shut off whenever you need them to go off, right? No hospital, no business, no home, no refrigerator can actually be turned off if the grid needs more energy. Um, so, so Bitcoin miners are this great sort of buyer of energy that can also just be shut off when when more important things in the grid need it.
0: Interesting. I never heard that uh, that argument before. It, 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 it's a smart one. You're you're going to be the demand that's there to justify the renewables and being able to continue the supply. Interesting so that's, that's obviously one piece of the regulation environment, but you, you, you mentioned a lot of other financial services, et cetera. Um, how do you interact with other types of regulations that we would think of in a traditional financial services environment? Um, you mentioned, you know, you don't give advice per se on how to invest. Um, I assume that's, you know, some of the FINRA, SEC type, type rules and, um, you know, but are, you're holding money, I think I saw on your website, you're still insured by FDIC up to 250000 but you're not a bank. Things sort of work together. Great question. Uh, when it comes to FDIC insurance, that is for cash in river.com. Um,
1: so we hold cash balances and Bitcoin balances for our clients. You can keep a cash balance with us um, you know, to trade in and out of, of your Bitcoin position. Um, so the cash with us is an FDIC insured. Bitcoin is not FDIC insured. Fundamentally, it, it can't be. The FDIC can only insure dollars because dollars are the only thing the government can print out of thin air to socialize a lot um, in the banking sector. Right. Um, that's, that's basically how it works as it relates to sort of other regulations. So we are uh, state by state, most States regulate us as a money transmitter. So yes, we are holding on, we are holding um, Bitcoin uh, for our clients. And we are also facilitating the transmission of that Bitcoin when they deposit and withdraw from river. So, so, so state by state, and in the vast majority of us States, we, we have to uh, get, money transmission licenses issued typically by that state's, um, you know, bank commissioner or department of banking, each state calls it something different. So, you know, we're a a highly regulated company. So when people say, you know, Bitcoin needs to be regulated, I I always say like we're, we're already one, you know, we're a startup and we've had to go get like, you know, 40 different licenses, right? Um, it's about as regulated as you can get.
0: I noticed you you always talk about Bitcoin. The website's just Bitcoin. I think you just do Bitcoin, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, any idea of moving into any of the other coins, any of the altcoins? Are you looking at any stable coins? Um, is there a reason why it's just Bitcoin for now?
1: Yeah, the reason is focus. Um, so stable coins actually, I, I think stable coins is just rails for dollars. So stable coins are actually very interesting to us. We support dollars. Uh, of course. And, um, you know, stable coins are something that increasingly people want uh, to be able to deposit um, and withdraw their, their their dollars from river uh, also makes it very e- much more easy for us to support international clients as it relates to other cryptocurrencies and other blockchains. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I think other blockchains are very powerful in their ability to power financial products. Um, that's something we're really interested in. Um, providing trading services for other coins beyond Bitcoin is something that we're not, we're not, focused on doing. And the reason is fundamentally, we believe that Bitcoin is sort of stands alone as sort of the reserve currency and the, like the thing people save in. These other crypto assets are, are while interesting, we, our, our long-term perspective is they'll really decouple from Bitcoin and, and be seen more of as like commodity trades based on sort of their own merits. Um, and it really, it really is fundamentally a different asset class than Bitcoin, which is kind of like the gold. And really, fundament, and what we're building towards is, is, is the world where we can build the financial products that help people Take that, you know, that savings instrument and and earn yields and put it to work and do that really really well. You know, we're not trying to compete with the Coinbase's of, of the world and, and offering yet yet one more you know trading platform to you know trade all one hundred you know thousand different currencies.
0: So when when people critics cynics of uh, cryptocurrency when they say you know the cryptocurrency period writ large speculative asset you sort of decouple and say Bitcoin is sort of, in your view, the long-term stable play. Other alternative cryptocurrencies decoupled over time are really the more speculative plays.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, uh, other cryptocurrencies I do think are more speculative. I think they'll also, I think they're like cryptocurrencies is too big now of a sort of, of of a thing to just treat it as a single asset class. They do all generally trade together still, but I do think fundamentally we will see that change down the road. I think Bitcoin will sort of be its own thing, sort of like gold is, you know, compared to stocks. I think Bitcoin is a lot more like gold and, you know, Ethereum or something like that is a lot more like sort of like oil, right, or gas. And these smart contract blockchains, their, their underlying tokens is more for the utility of, you know, powering those networks. Um, so I think they'll just have different like supply and demand dynamics um, and, and have just different reasons for owning them and the different types of trades that, that you'll make. So we just want to do Bitcoin and do Bitcoin better than anyone else.
0: Uh, I see on your website, one of the services you talk about is estate planning relevant to Bitcoin. Uh, I'm actually curious, what does estate planning in a cryptocurrency sense mean differently than somebody's traditional estate planning mindset? Well, um,
1: it's actually quite similar to someone's traditional estate planning uh, mindset, but sort of Bringing that to this new type of asset, basically one of the biggest questions that we saw when we first launched the company is, what happens if I die? I've got you know, millions of dollars in Bitcoin, and I die. What how, how do my family get it? Right? Um, people saying all sorts of things like this, and we realized this is a big problem to solve. And so we did the state by state legal work, and um, make sure that the that our our clients could add beneficiaries to their accounts. Um, such that their assets would transfer to their loved ones as they, as they wish. And so with these, um, we, we, it, 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 basically the way it works is it's called a transfer on death uh, document, um, which means that their, their, their Bitcoin actually bypassed probate. Um, it wouldn't have to go through this long drawn out court process. It would go directly to the people that they name on their account. And um, it gives people a lot more peace of mind.
0: Are there states uh, today where if you didn't have that document, you know, you could just have like all of your crypto just lost in space, potentially, at least for a long time? Or is there legislation you're still sort of advocating or thinking about that would be helpful here?
1: So, you know, I do want to qualify this. I'm not an estate lawyer, um, but I can give this sort of a high level directional answer. But, I, you know, I do just generally sort of please check with your, your, uh, your local estate, you know, lawyer. I, I, I think the answer is, so if your family knows about an asset that you own, um, in what company it's at, then you know there should be typically a process for your family to get that. Now, if your family didn't know about it um, and it just sat there dormant, and you died, there typically each state has some timeline time frame where the asset just gets handed over to the state, and they just basically get to keep it. Typically, there would be a process, but like I think in California, for example, if you didn't have sort of this transfer on death, you know, certificate it would have to go through this public court process. So it actually become like public information and how much Bitcoin you had and, you know, take months and months potentially before your family could access it.
0: It's interesting. Uh, I I do know about these issues. My my family has done, I think a lot of families probably have done this, the uh, unclaimed property that state treasurers usually run where, I mean, it sits for years and years and years before they actually turn it over to the state. And it's an insurance product. It's some bank account. It's some refund you didn't even know about, it had your name on it somehow the state got it because you didn't collect it it's just sitting there you type in your name they go tell you oh yeah here's your check from the state of Illinois or for the state of New York you know for can they do that currently to you know from a technical perspective if you died and nobody knew about it would the state ever actually have that on the rolls for uh, for unclaimed property
1: that's a good question and i don't know the answer i mean we don't report like directly to some state government like every account that residents have, Um, but there are federal filing tax filings, right. Um, so perhaps states would use that, you know, frankly, you know, we're, we're three years old. Um, I think most of these states, you know, you know, require reporting something after like many years. And so, you know, it's, it's not something we've honestly had to face a whole lot yet. Um, and I think some of the rules are still developing. I actually think there was just development recently in some big state sort of confirming that these, these same rules apply to, to, to cryptocurrencies.
0: That's interesting. All right, let's 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 zoom out a bit. I think we, we, we've, we've gone very deep into the rabbit holes, which I like, but uh, we'll zoom out a little bit. Bitcoin, obviously in the news right now, considerably down from its high. Uh, a lot of question marks if you're tuning on CNBC of what is the future of cryptocurrency right now with the tech downturn overall and the market downturn. Uh, not the hedge, at least today, that, that people thought maybe it would be against inflation, against energy prices, against um, general market downturn. If you had a client or a potential client saying, listen, I, I put my money in at 60000 and now I'm looking at 30000 um, you know, what's the what's the long-term play here? What's the argument to somebody who's scared right now saying, I, I don't know about Bitcoin?
1: You know, the thing I always say is when in doubt, zoom out. Um, you know, have the fundamentals of your bet changed, right? Has the world fundamentally changed, you know, against your hypothesis for buying Bitcoin, right? Most people... Um, You know, they made a bet on Bitcoin because they saw, you know, uh, you know, governments spending way too much money, Um, governments on a trajectory to destroy their currencies. Um, And and Bitcoin is this sort of uh, apolitical, um, digitally scarce asset that capital will flow into over the coming decades. Um, You know, if you believe that's fundamentally changed, then, um, you know, you should consider selling. If you believe that trend is still very strongly on track, which I very much do. Um, then, then Bitcoin is, is just on sale. Um, so it's a, it's a huge buying opportunity. I, you know, I bought my first Bitcoin, uh, you know, under a hundred dollars and I've seen, I've been through many bear markets. I don't know anyone who's built a lot of wealth selling the dip. I don't know a single person who built their wealth doing that. Um, You know, everyone I know who's built a lot of wealth in this industry has has doubled down um, when there's blood in the streets, and that that goes for investors and also builders, people building companies. Um, You know, the only way to make the billions of dollars in the bull market is to have spent the years before the bull market heads down building. Um, You don't just all of a sudden wake up one day in a bull market and make money. You have to build all of the the product and the infrastructure before it. And so, by definition. You know, the people who build and focus in the bear markets are the ones who really come out ahead in the next market cycle.
0: How do you see the impact of Bitcoin on the U.S. political landscape today?
1: So interestingly,
0: I I really think Bitcoin
1: is becoming a major pillar um, in the political discussions in the United States. I think uh, over the coming decade or so, you know, Bitcoin is going to be a major factor in political races, and it's going to be an increasingly large topic of discussion as the US financial situation continues to deteriorate the sort of the US government's financial situation. I think that some, you know, radical politicians, mostly on the left, will see Bitcoin as this thing that needs to be banned and, and outlawed. However, I think that, you know, the, there's a large contingent of largely sort of the younger group of politicians um, in Congress who, who see Bitcoin as and cryptocurrencies more broadly as, as, a, as a major sort of Tailwind for the United States is a major opportunity for the United States to establish itself like once again as a leader in a new frontier. So, you know, some people say, and I think it's an interesting theory that, you know, it's going to be such a major uh, player in the political arena over the coming decades that it will we'll actually go from uh, red versus blue to green versus orange. You, you know, a, a, as the financial situation in the United States becomes more and more sort of something we can't ignore, the the money we use becomes really like a major you know, part of the political debate, and as more and more people save in Bitcoin, that that really becomes a huge issue for them. We'll see. Uh, there are a lot of congressmen who are getting very smart about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and it's been very impressive to see how fast they've picked things up. So the coming years should be interesting.
0: And I know you were pretty vocally uh, outspoken on the Senate Infrastructure Bill uh, when it moved with what uh, was pretty much the first real regulation we've seen out of Congress. Why were you opposed to that uh, legislation? And maybe fast forward today, are you seeing any impacts uh, so far?
1: Um, The Senate infrastructure bill is a piece of legislation where it didn't directly impact our business a ton, because like I said, we're already pretty regulated In fact, we're sort of in this place where if I wasn't sort of ideologically driven, I would almost be pushing for regulations because it helps keep my competitors away. But I'm very opposed to that. I'm very opposed to the regulatory capture approach, which actually some co- some larger companies I think are starting to try to push for in DC. They want these regulations because it makes it harder for startups to compete with them. But you know, this infrastructure bill it, it has a lot of adverse effects in just accelerating growth in this space. For example, you know, risking classifying mining pools as financial institutions now, every where every mining pool would have to KYC all of their customers. I mean, it's just a huge issue. You know, forcing this old regulatory system built for banks in the 1900s, you know, on a dynamic, fast-paced, innovative new frontier this early is just such high risk to not just the industry, but to the United States. Imagine if Silicon Valley hadn't happened here, right? Like imagine how detrimental or how behind we would be as a nation. You know, I I think that we're risking sort of um, over-regulating the space way, way too early.
0: Your reaction, if you've looked at the White House executive order, uh, where you expect to see regulation headed from the federal government at this point, not not from Congress. Though so I know Congress is also looking at uh, additional comprehensive legislation going forward.
1: The incentives in government are just very perverse, right? Government is full of a bunch of lawyers sitting around getting excited about how to make more rules for people. Um, you know, the the number of lawyers in the United States has gone up fourfold since the 1970s per capita. So so ba- basically have this whole sort of population of people who largely s- exist to just ex- extract from society. Just getting excited about how they can, you know, make more rules for this new Interesting thing, you see this with the SEC with Gary Gensler. You're seeing this with most government agencies. Like I think, interestingly, from what I've seen, the CFCC has actually been sort of the most like pro, actually sort of wanting to see innovation in in this space. Luckily, with Bitcoin, we're pretty safe because we're not a security from dealing with the SEC. But the SEC is like really trying to make lots of rules for people. Treasury is really sort of scared about money laundering and terrorism, so they're trying to apply every bank. KYC AML rule to the crypto space, so now the travel rule has been a big thing that they're pushing on everybody, which is basically making sure financial institutions share information about who's sending money from one to the other. Um, which you know, obviously, you can't isn't isn't natively built into a blockchain, so they've had to build this this other system that, in theory, every crypto company will plug into, so that they know. So an information share effectively, you know, it's unfortunate. It's all kind of a mess. I think it's really going to slow innovation and harm the American people at the end of the day. Um, But that's just the nature of government.
0: Lots of talk. We've talked about it uh, a good deal in our past episodes, the idea of a central bank digital currency, if the federal reserve actually went forward with, with obviously very early right now, pilots and concept papers, et cetera. But you know, there are, there's a, There's a push. There's a group of people who really want to see this digital dollar uh, at some point. What happens to your model at that point if we have a digital dollar? Is is it good for you? Is it bad for you? Is it good for Bitcoin, bad for Bitcoin? How does does that work?
1: Um, I actually think it's um, neutral for Bitcoin. I mean, just because there's a digital dollar doesn't stop the government from printing more of it. Um, It makes it even easier, right? A digital dollar actually does not challenge Bitcoin. Bitcoin's uh, innovation was its, its monetary properties and and, and those aren't changing the digital dollar, depending on how it's implemented. Um, you know, like we are already seeing this with stable coins. I think stable coins are tremendous innovation. It's basically a new dollar rail to route around ossified, uh, financial infrastructure and regulatory and, and, and a fine ossified regulatory system and allow dollars to flow freely all over the world. I think that's fundamentally good for America. And I think that any pro America politician would actually, um, this is how the world becomes dollarized. Dollars can now flow freely across boundaries and borders uh, with capital restrictions that typically, that previously had capital restrictions. You can't stop a, a, a stable coin from you know, going to somebody with a non-custodial wallet in Argentina. This is how you dollarize the world. This is actually great for the United States. Now, where it would get scary is if the Fed um, decides that they want to control that Coin. They don't want to outsource this to private companies and allow private companies to do this. They want every American to have, you know, digital dollars with their account controlled by the federal government. You
0: have a Fed wallet. It's you know, basically, yeah.
1: yeah, that implementation of a, of a, of a um, central bank digital currency would be absolutely disastrous to the rights of the American people. Um, it's only a matter of time at that point where when, before when you when you tweet the wrong thing, um, your account gets locked. They say, "Oh, you spent too much on non-ESG purchases this week. Um, we're going to have to, you know, th- you can't buy this gun. You can't buy that uh, this this tank of gas. You know, it's only a matter of time before um, sort of the perverse sort of ESG DE and I sort of like radical leftist stuff gets just gets um, uh, forced." and and becomes the rules of, of that of that currency which would just be disastrous
0: but that's probably where china is going i mean we we had this conversation with with michael greenwald who's moved on now to uh to aws working on on their cloud and digital asset thinking it is scary that is a scary prospect especially in an authoritarian regime but even in a, a democracy
1: yeah no i mean it, that's what china wants and that's what a large i i think a a, a, a population of, of the United States actually wants authoritarian authoritarianism. I mean, we saw this during COVID. Um, we saw this. I mean, we see this time and time again. Um, they want a world view forced on everybody. And this would allow them to do that.
0: Finally, we're seeing crypto sanctions in the news uh, more and more, obviously, with Russia. You mentioned uh, at, at the beginning of our conversation, some of the mining operations uh, in, in Russia uh, being swept up you know, there's probably going to be increasing calls. I might be one of them. I'm a national security sanctions guy personally um, to, you know, enforce rules of the road for everybody when it comes to illicit finance. Obviously with crypto, you're, you're dealing in a, in a different space, but we have to update our, our regulations and our thinking. And we've done that to some extent and there's probably more work to be done. Do you think that there is any sort of threat to the system? If like a major crypto company were to get caught up in a sanctions um, hit at the moment a U.S. Uh, crypto exchange wallet provider, something like that?
1: I think it would be a risk because of the, of the lack of understanding in D.C. I think that they, they would try and crack down on it even more. I mean, the reality is, like, American companies already have to, you know, follow AML, BSA, you know, like, have to, you know, follow the, the Bank Secrecy Act, you know, make sure they're not, you know, violating OFAC and all that stuff. So the regulations are already there. However, I do think it would be used as a political tool, Right. Like Wells Fargo can get slapped with a fact violation and, you know, get fined billions of dollars, but they don't, you know, try and ban the dollar. Right. But I do think that they would try and use this to um, to come after crypto. Um, but that said, I do fundamentally think that weaponizing our currency um, is actually fundamentally against the interest of the United States uh, because it makes the U.S. dollar less useful and is actually just accelerating the demise of our own monetary system but that's a separate conversation. A,
0: a separate podcast where you and I would debate that one, but uh, as, as a sanctions weaponier uh for, for many years. Uh, listen, Alex, uh, we're going to go into a quick lightning round here and then let you go. What is the weirdest thing you've ever purchased using Bitcoin? Uh, barbecue wings in the middle of West Virginia. That counts. I like that. There's, that sounds like a long story and a podcast in and of itself. What's one thing you wish you could do in Bitcoin today, but is still not allowed?
1: Buy things without paying capital gains taxes.
0: <laughs> What's one thing you've seen in the crypto world that gave you pause? like, yeah, th- that probably does need to get regulated.
1: you know I-, I think when that Ethereum developer sort of went to North Korea to try and like teach them about sort of like you know how to use Ethereum, you know that, that was like, okay, like, maybe that's a little too much. <laughs>
0: Okay, we found the line. We found the line. Teaching the North Koreans. All right, that, that's good. Alex Lechman River Financial, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Very enlightening and good luck. Thank you. And another great podcast in the books. Good luck to you all who are still in the money or out of the money or below the money or below a peg, whoever you want to look at it right now. Godspeed to everyone in the crypto world. We will continue to dive into these and many other issues ahead We are just scratching the surface here at Kryptonite, so I hope you understand that. I hope you understand what's going on. I hope you're improving your learning, education, knowledge base about cryptocurrency and digital assets. That's ultimately the goal here. We are on a journey together. I came in with some opinions. I'm forming new opinions. I have some opinions getting stronger. Some are weakening. Uh, We'll see where it happens to go from here, but I'm glad you're with me on the journey. If you like our show, please help us get the word out. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a five-star review and most importantly, tell your friend because that's the best recommendation we can get until next time. I'm Rich Goldberg. This is kryptonite.